today starts Passion Week, and I'm, I'm going to be praying for every single one of our churches, for every single one of you, that this is a knockout week for you guys. That you, next Sunday, when you finish your Easter services, you're going to say, I have never felt so close to God in my life. And you know, today is a real celebratory day because a lot of Christian people don't realize how many prophetic things took place on, on Palm Sunday. Do you know that, that, do you know why the crowd was already there? Have you ever asked that question? Like, well, how did the crowd know Jesus was even coming? Because one week or usually five days before Passover, they would bring the lambs in that had been nurtured, that were no blemish on them, the perfect lambs, and they would parade them to the sheep gate where they would sell them for the Passover. So this was the day that the crowds would line up and the lambs would be paraded down the Mount of Olives uh, down to the sheep gate where later that week they would be sold. Well, on this particular day where the crowds were gathering, not a lamb, but the lamb of God came fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah that he would be on a colt. The crowd recognized this and began to cheer the, the, the messianic chant of Hosanna, son of David, son of the promise when it was the perfect fulfillment of Daniel chapter 9, the 69 weeks that were predicted when Messiah would come, beginning the week when he would be cut off. And it was the exact fulfillment of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem that would happen 483 years later, or 173,880 days from what Daniel talked about. The Messiah would show up to the minute, to the day, to be introduced in Jerusalem. And when the crowd realized this, they began to say, Baruch Hababashim Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The chant that was reserved only for the Messiah. And that's why that the Pharisees said, hush your disciples. And you know what Jesus said. He said, well, if they're quiet, then the very rocks will cry out. Because 483 years ago, Daniel said this day would come exactly on the day to perfection. That's why I believe in Jesus as my Messiah. Let's get on to missions. All right. Well, I love your heart, Jeff. I I love this church. You guys have a wonderful reputation. And your pastor is is one of our, our very, very best. And thank you for what you're doing. What you will do today and from this point on with your missions pledges will change the world. My, my motivation as a missions pastor all these years is I can't wait to go to heaven and meet the people that I never had any clue that what we did got them into heaven. And there will be thousands of them And you don't know about them yet, but on that day when we all gather at the gates of heaven, the nations will be there, and we will rejoice, and you will have had a major part in that. And you will hear stories that reverberate down, this person got saved, this missionary shared, this family got saved, they went, they won their nation to Jesus. We all have investment in that. Please don't look at what you're doing today as just making a pledge of money. You are making a pledge that changes the eternal destiny of people. And man, that gets me stoked. And so I love your heart for permissions. And uh, I love the, the, the idea that you guys get it. A lot of people don't get it. 
And, and the, I love the story of the man who brought the, bought the brand new retriever, the little dog, and he wanted to go give him a, a try. So he went out and uh, he, he's out by the lake and he shoots a bird and the bird falls in, in the water. And he goes, okay, this is what I bought you for. Go get the bird. And so all of a sudden he noticed and his dog walks on water. And, and gets the bird, walks back on water. And he's rubbing his eyes and going, what? I, I've never seen anything like this. Could, could this be the case? So he said, well, I, gotta, I have to show this dog off. So he calls his best friend. And he says, you got to come see this new retriever I have. So they go out hunting the next day. And he goes, go ahead, shoot a bird. So his buddy shoots a bird. Bird falls in the lake, tells the retriever, go get him. He walks on water. He goes, gets the bird, brings it back, drops it at their feet. The man looks at his friend and goes, did you notice anything special about my dog? And the guy looks him over and he goes, well, no, he kind of likes, look like any old bird dog to me. Goes, really? Shoot another bird, falls in the water, dog walks on water, goes out there, gets the bird, brings it back, drops it at their feet. And the, the man says, now listen, are, are you sure you don't notice anything special about my dog? And the guy at me says, well, you know, come to think of it, I noticed that dog can't swim. And sometimes we miss the obvious. And in the world that we live in today, the most obvious thing is it's very lost. That around you in these communities, in New Jersey, in our nation today, our nation is not getting closer to God. Our nation is getting farther away from God. And mainly because they're not hearing the real message. They're hearing the message of religion and not necessarily the message of truth about a Savior who came to die for you. But can I tell you what is obvious to God? It's obvious to God that the world is lost. It's obvious to our God today that on this planet there are still three and a half billion people who've never received an adequate witness of Jesus. Many of them have never even ever one time heard the name of Jesus that you and I will hear many times even today. And so this breaks God's heart, the God who wants to love them and bless them and share with them and give them salvation that's what the Bible is all about. The story of the God who loves everybody so much, he wants them at home with him. And that's why we do missions. It, it, it's obvious that God is always concerned about the lost people. And, and so it's not just a New Testament concept. We sometimes want to relegate missions to only the New Testament. Do you know that God has always had a heart for lost people? And the entire Bible has a lot to say about that. And so I want to invite you to turn in your Bible with me today to Psalm 67. Because Psalm 67, I think, reveals the heart of God in a very prolific way. In verse 1 it says, May God be merciful and bless us. May his face smile with favor on us. May your ways be known throughout the earth, your saving power among people everywhere. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. Let the world sing for joy because you govern the nations with justice and guide the people of the whole world. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. Then the earth will yield its harvest and God, our God, will richly bless us. Yes, God will bless us, and people all over the world will fear him. Does that talk about God's heart for the world or what? 
And yet notice it's kind of here in the Old Testament. We're going to get into that in just a moment. I'm grateful that almost from the moment that Donna and I came to the Lord, she came a little earlier than I did. I, I came to the Lord when I was 19 years old. I came out of a drug and alcohol culture and uh, really tough times in my life, but got saved in our premarital counseling. We got married very young. We've been married almost 51 years, if you can believe it. And uh, um, now we weren't 12, but, but we, we, you know, she was, but, but we, were, we were young. And uh, right from the very beginning, when we got saved, we got involved in a little church plant. They were planting a brand new church. We got invited to be a part of that team. And I didn't know anything about missions. I, I didn't know anything about anything. I was raised in America. No one ever told me about Jesus till the day I got saved. So if you think everybody out there knows, I don't know about everybody out there. I can tell you my story. No one ever told me a word about Jesus. So I wasn't one of these guys that's like, I'm hard and I don't want to hear. When I heard, it was like, wow, really? I mean, this, this God in heaven, this, I thought Jesus was just a historical figure. It's like, no, he's alive. He lives. He's in heaven. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. I said, I'm interested, Right. Don't ever think that people aren't interested. Most of them don't know the story. They don't know the real truth. And so we came to the Lord, and in that little church, the pastor immediately said, we have to have a missions convention. Well, we didn't have a building. We were meeting in an elementary school, actually in one of the classrooms, I think, for second graders among all of the, you know, the donkeys and the, the giraffes and everything on the walls. And uh, so we, he said, well, I don't, we got to find a place to do it. And, and it was a little church. And so Donna and I said, well, Look at, uh, we have an unfinished basement in our house, and it's pretty big. You know, it's just the cement walls, but you're welcome to use our basement. So our very first introduction was in our own unfinished basement with a missions convention, and we did a missions dinner, and there was a missionary there by the name of Uncle Elmer, and he came and he told us about Cameroon, Africa, and I sat there like a little kid on the front row hearing these stories, and I said, I've never heard anything like this. And our heart was beginning to be captured even in those days. And it, 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 didn't, it didn't stop from there. We, we went beyond that. And Donna and I actually received our call to the ministry in a missions convention. And, and so I told this story at ordination last year, Pastor Jeff. And uh, we, were, we were, God had been kind of pulling on our hearts, but we were kind of not moving in, in that direction. And missionary Bob Hoskins came to our church and was doing our missions convention, and he, he began to tell the story of how he and his wife, Hazel, and their family were missionaries in Beirut, Lebanon, and it was back during the days of the Middle East Wars, and one day the air raid sirens went off. They'd heard them before, but this time they knew it was the real deal. He grabbed his wife, Hazel's hand. She grabbed the bag of peanut butter sandwiches they'd made. They grabbed their kids, and they headed to down by the Mediterranean, overlooking that beautiful city of Beirut as the bombers all came in. It was the real deal. Started to drop bombs all across the side of Beirut there. They watched as one of those bombs directly hit their house. They watched everything they'd ever owned, everything they'd ever accumulated, the many wonderful mementos and souvenirs and artifacts that Bob and all of his travels around the world had accumulated. Every single thing they owned, boom, gone in a, in a moment's notice, it blown to pieces, 
And uh, they, they were sad and, and weeping and they looked up and they were just glad that their, their family was safe. But Bob Hoskins would say something in reaction to that that changed our life forever. And, and Bob looked up at that hill and he looked at what was going on and he looked to his wife and he just said, so what? It's just stuff. So what? And what he didn't know is Donna and I had been in a little bit of a battle, more me than her, that I knew that there was a calling on our life to go to, to, to ministry. And somewhere along the line, somebody told me that if you became a preacher, you had to become poor. I, I don't know if that's true, but that's what I was told. And I was working for the airlines. I had a very good job. And so I'm going, well, I don't want to be poor. I'm doing pretty good for a young guy, you know. And they said, you're going to lose everything you had. Well, I don't want to lose everything I had. And so we had rebelled. And, and they, God had actually worked in my heart. But the devil was working in my mind and had built a stronghold over my life about all of these things that were not so true. But that day we got a real and there was just something in the spirit of God that I grabbed Donna's hand and we went to the altar. And as we're headed to the altar, after hearing So What, that wonderful old mission song, maybe you sing it here or maybe you did in bygone days, George Bernard, he wrote it when he was going through his own crisis of faith. Put the words up there. Let's see if you, if you remember this one. Do you guys remember this one? It was, hear the Lord of harvest sweetly calling. Who will go and work for me today? Who, who knows it? Wave at me if you know it, right? Oh, Donna and I, good. Wonderful. All right. Who will bring to me the lost and dying? Who will point them to the narrow way? Remember it? Speak, my Lord. Speak, my Lord. Speak, and I'll be quick to answer thee. Speak, my Lord. Speak, my Lord. Speak, and I will answer. Lord, send me. And with that... We surrendered to God's call. The rest is somewhat history. That was over 40 years ago. That great mission song had touched my heart. But do you know that Psalm 67 is a mission song? Do you know that George Bernard, it was his favorite psalm because it talked about the nations David wrote it to proclaim the heart of God. Some people have said that Psalm 67 is the great commission of the Old Testament. It, it proclaims God's desire for salvation to flow, not just to the people of Israel, but to all nations, for all people, for all of time. That's what the heart of God is all about. And I understand that the Old Testament is primarily centered around the story of the formation of Israel and, and the Jewish people, but... It's important that here they are right in the middle of the Old Testament. God hits a pause, uses the writing of David through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say, yes, Israel, I have a plan for you, but you need to know I love all people everywhere for all of time. And that reverberates in my heart today. Maybe you noticed as we are reading the ironic blessing that had been pronounced over the Jewish people for really hundreds of years because how many know God wants to bless you? Turn to somebody and say, God wants to bless you. He wants you blessed. That's God's heart. But I thought about this. How can we really be blessed if salvation is not a part of that blessing? 
a little bit what you just talked about, honey. I mean, it's such an important part of that. And so in, in this story, there's a very interesting little thing. We're going to get theological for just a minute here, but it's important you catch that. In almost all of the Old Testament, whenever God is talked about, it uses the term Yahweh or his personal name. You would probably know it as Jehovah. It's a covenant name. We know the, the covenant name Jehovah has to be attached to something. So we have, what, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Tesignu. We have all of these things that are their covenant names. But in Psalm 67, and I think with great intention under the Holy Spirit, it never uses the name Yahweh, which was attached to the nation of Israel. It uses the term for God, Elohim, because Elohim was the God of all people. And so he's very purposeful. Psalm 67 says God has a purpose in blessing not just the people of Israel, but people everywhere, and he wants most of all to bless them with the gift of salvation. This refers to God's relationship to all people. This psalm centers on the missionary heart of God. And really, isn't that what missions is all about? Letting the nations know that God has a heart for them, that he's not a big bad guy up in heaven wanting to strike them down, but he loves them and has a plan for their life. That, that's why we're here as a church. And so as a part of that, God does this. He wants to bless you. But why? So that you can bless others. That's what missions pledges are all about. That's why we have missions programs. Because we have a God that wants to bless us. But this is what we say. That God's blessing is meant to be a thoroughfare and not a dead-end street. So when he blesses you, he doesn't want you to hoard it and keep it. He wants you to share it with the nations. And the more you give, the more blessing you get. And you'll actually get in this little holy competition with God because God will say this to you, you just try to outgive me. And you'll lose, by the way. We, we tried that many times. You will always lose that endeavor. We can never outgive God. But the more we bless, the more God blesses us. He gives so we can give and bless the world. And that's really what it's all about. Look at verse 2 of your Bible again. Why do we do this? He says, may your ways, here's why, may your ways be known throughout the earth, your saving power among people everywhere. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. Well, what, what he's saying there is he said, we want all people. The, the word that's used here for nations and people in the, in the Hebrew is the word goyim. It, it, it means people groups. Over in the New Testament, it would use the term ethnos. We get our word ethnic from it. It, it means God is an all-inclusive God. Can you say hallelujah? I'm so glad he didn't leave anybody out. Because I'm glad he didn't leave me out. He included me. And so he wants everyone, it says, to know his ways and to know his saving power. And that's always been in the heart of God. That's why when Jesus came, he had to do a little bit of theological correction. Remember at the temple, he goes in and he clears the temple and he goes, let me tell you about the proper use of this temple. He says, this temple is to be a house of God. What? But he doesn't be a house of prayer. 
And, and so we like to finish the verse there, but do you know it goes on and he says, it's a house of prayer to all or for all nations. What's Jesus saying? He says, my father's got a big house. And yes, it's a place of prayer, but my father's house is a house where everyone is welcome. Doesn't matter what they look like. Doesn't matter where they come from. Everybody's welcome at my father's house. That's the heart of Jesus. And by the word, wait, he says that word all nations, that's that word ethnos. That means all people groups. Even Abraham, the very first promise that God had for the nations in the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, 3, he says, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And in the very end of time, we begin to see this in fulfillment in Revelation 5, 9, speaking to Jesus, it says, because you were slain and with your blood, you purchased for God persons from, look at this, guys, every tribe and language and people and ethnos, every nation, every ethnic group. That verse is the fulfillment, by the way, of Psalm 67, 4. Let the whole world sing for joy. How much of the world? Everybody. Big party, guys. Big, big party. All right? Because you govern the nations with justice and guide the people of the whole world. So what's it all about? It's about this, that, that our privilege... But our task is to bring the good news, this good news of this all-inclusive God. Everyone deserves a chance to go to heaven. Uh, This God, and and he wants us to go to people everywhere. I love the story of the, the man that his friends just called him Jim. He had a great burden, a calling on his life to share the gospel and to communicate it. And God had laid a specific nation on his heart. And he wrestled with how he could get there and how he could bring the message. And it seemed so distant and far away from him. And the barriers were insurmountable, it seemed to think. And so even though the task looked impossible, he said, I'm going to give it a try. So he moves to this nation. And then he notices that he looks very, very different than the people of that nation. So the very first thing he does is he shaves his head, kind of like mine, except for he did what I can't do. He grew this little clump of hair back there on the back of his head because that's what the men did. And then he got rid of his suit and tie and he started dressing in the garb of the people of that day so he could fit in. Uh, he, he, He was trying to reach them. He learned their language. And then he moved right into the neighborhoods where they, they lived and he, he tried to become friends with them, but there was a rejection and a misunderstanding of his message. And so for many, many years, Jim paid the price of loneliness weariness, discouragement, daily being rejected. And he did this year after year, but year after year, he continued to sow seed. And sometimes all we can do in the nations is sow seed. That's what God calls us to do. Every dollar you give is a seed. Every prayer we pray is a seed. Every action we take is a seed. To move this gospel forward. That's what Jim did. He owned the mission. And you know what? It paid off. Because all these years later, there are millions of Chinese Christians that have been touched directly or indirectly by Jim, or as he's more widely known, James Hudson Taylor, the father of missions to China. He never gave up. He sowed it in. 
And one of Hudson Taylor's favorite psalms was this one because it talked about this harvest of souls. And he lived for what verse 6 says, there'll come a day. I love this. Look at the word then. Everybody say then. When? When, when that, that day. Then the earth will yield its harvest and God our God will bless us. What is harvest? Harvest is the benefactor of seed being put in the ground. There's coming a day when the seeds that we sow will all come to fruition. And look at what it says. Then God, our God, will bless us and people all over the world, all over the world will fear him. That's why every church has to have a missions program in my mind. I don't see it as the great option. I see it as the great commission, the great inclusion. We need the heart of God to rub off on us. But sadly, there is a, there's, a, there's a disconnect with so many people. So I'm going to take these last couple of minutes. And with your permission, Pastor, uh, can I get down in your business for a minute? You don't have to have me back. But this needs to be said. Can I ask you this morning? Are you really bothered, I mean bothered, that people are lost? Do you ever soak your pillow at night with tears simply because your neighbors, your family, the people of the world are lost? Do we really still believe the theology that without Jesus Christ, people will not see God? Without the message of the gospel, they will be eternally separated from God? Do we believe that? Because if we believe that, we have to do something about it. That, that's what it is. It, it, it should break our hearts. We live in a world, even in the Christian church today, where we're, we're so concerned about all of our own issues and problems and dilemmas that it makes me wonder, do we really value what God values. I know we love worship and Bible study and church and fellowship and dinners. We really love the dinners. I do, right? But do we love lost people? Or do we see them as a burden and an inconvenience, as a nuisance? Psalm 67 says God sees them as lost and he wants them to be included. It's what motivated God to send his son, Jesus. That, that's what it's about. Maybe God was reading Psalm 67 because Jesus was the greatest missionary ever. Think about it. No one ever paid a greater price to become a missionary than Jesus did. Think about it. No one left more behind. He left the glory of heaven behind. No one went a farther distance than Jesus did. Missions is at the core of the heart of Jesus. It was the Lord himself who said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Somebody told me a while back, they said, if you could see the heart of God, you would see it's in the shape of a globe. That's the God that we love and, and serve. My friend Paul Brannan says this. He said, how can we say we love Jesus and not love what Jesus loves. Jesus loves souls. He owned the mission, and he wants us to own it as well. 
not just take care of our needs. It's the purpose of the church to own the mission of God and to take the gospel to the whole world. That's why we're here. That's our primary purpose. It's our purpose to reflect the heart of God to a needy world. Jesus himself talked about that. In Luke chapter 15, it's such a powerful, powerful chapter because they had all of these religious people that were totally missing it. And so Jesus talked to them and he uses, he really tells one story, but he tells three stories to tell one story. He, he said, listen, this is the, you want to know about my father in heaven? He said, my father in heaven, his heart is like this. His heart is like the woman who had 10 silver coins and she loses one. And instead of just going, well, I still got all the others left, she searched everywhere for that lost coin and when she found it she rejoiced he goes oh yeah 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 my my father's heart it's like the shepherd who had 99 sheep and he loses one and he doesn't just go well i still have a lot left he goes and he searches everywhere until he finds that lost sheep and when he finds it he rejoices but more than that my father's heart is like the man who had two sons And one of those sons became lost. And he went away to a far country and he blew his inheritance and he blew off his family. But my father never gave up on him. Every day my father went to the head of the road and he looked and he said, Is this the day my lost son comes home? Day after day after day after day. And one day he did. And Jesus looked at those Pharisees and he said, this is the heart of my father. When he saw him coming, he didn't say, get away from me. You blew it. I have nothing to do with you. He said, my son that was lost is now found. Let's throw a big party. God loves lost things that have been found. God loves lost people that have been found. And I don't know that we really understand the aspect of loss the way that we should. Let me finish with this story. A few years ago, Donna and I, well, many years ago now, Donna and I kind of went through this idea of a little bit, tiny bit, of a feeling of what it was to have something lost. Our oldest son, Jason, who pastors in, in North Jersey, he, uh, he was two and a half years old. He was our only child at the time. And... Uh, he had a little buddy over, and we were babysitting his little buddy. Jason was two and a half. His little buddy, I think, was maybe three and a half or so. And uh, we were watching him, and they were downstairs playing and everything. And we had the door locked because Jason, at two and a half, he couldn't unlock the door. And they played for a little while. And then I mentioned to my wife, I said, wow, they're, they are really playing nice. I haven't heard a peep out of them. And then I got, oh, I should go check on them because when little boys are not making a peep, that means they're into something, right? And so I went downstairs, no little boys. I looked all over the house, no little boys. I looked at the door and noticed the door was now unlocked, and we went, oh, no. We forgot his little buddy was old enough to unlock the door, and out they went. It's now dark outside. We had no idea where they were. Make things worse, we had a stream and right beside our house. 
And I thought, oh, my goodness, they've gone to the stream. And you ever have this happen? The panic just slowly began to rise in my, I just, like, sick to your stomach. I'm thinking, oh, no, no. Went down, looked all around the stream, no little boys. We went and got the neighbors. We all looked all over, no little boys. The panic is just rising and rising and rising in our hearts. My son is lost and I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. Well, I had a motorcycle in those days. I still do, by the way. But I, I jumped on my motorcycle. I thought I can go twice as fast on my motorcycle. And frantic, I'm going up and down the streets everywhere, looking for these little boys. Finally, several blocks away, across a couple major roads, I look over on the corner under a streetlight, and here's those two little rascals. I pulled my motorcycle up, and I I got off, and I wanted to smack them. But that's not what I did. You know what I did. I said, come here, boys, because my son was lost, but now he's found. Every time somebody comes to heaven, our father may want to smack them. That's not what he does. He gathers them in his arms because when something's lost, and something's found. It's precious to Jesus. Today, you're going to make some big decisions right now. C.T. Studd, the great evangelist, said this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. Let's let that be our motivation today. God bless you for your heart for a world. Thank you so much, Pastor. Don, I remember the second day we were in Central Europe, we were in Poland, Warsaw, visiting that uncompleted Bible college. Students would come in from hundreds of miles. The sanctuary was all piled up with these mattresses that they would sleep on just to get their Bible education. And that project had been uncompleted for about five years. We tore that project We got back in that van, and the words of our superintendent was this. Guys, we need to complete this now. It's only money. It's only money. We need to complete this so that students can get their education, so they can be trained, so they can reach Poland. We can't reach Poland, but these students can.